Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. This is part three in a series that is that you will know I am the Lord. Uh, we've said that, that that phrase, that you will know that I am the Lord, is found in that, in that formula. 77 times. Of that, 63 of them are in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel says that God is doing what he's doing, that you may know he is the Lord. And he uses his name, not just to know that he's master. It's capital O, capital R, capital R... Um, how do you spell it again? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When it's in all caps, kids, it's his name. That's this name up here. See that Jehovah on each one of our banners here? That's the anglicized way of trying to pronounce three Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H. How do you pronounce that? Well, the, the Hebrew writing, uh, it's, it's difficult to pronounce because the way it is pointed, uh, which is that's what gives it its sounds, it's not pronounceable. And the Hebrew translators did that, or scribes did that, in order that people would not say that name. When you come across those four letters in, in Hebrew, you don't say what the name is. You say instead, Adonai, Adonai. Why? That you won't take the name of the Lord in vain. He's not saying that you will know that I am Adonai here. He said you, that you will know that I am Yahweh. That's who I am. I am the one who is, who was, and will ever be. I am is who he is. And that's what he was trying to get across to them. I want you to know the I am. I don't want you to know some, some master. You can have a lot of masters. You have had a lot of masters. People of the world, I'm wanting you to know this. Stop thinking everything else is something real. I am real. I am the Lord. And I did what I just did that you will know that I'm the Lord. And he said that 60, what did I say, 63 times? He did that that many times, kids, in order that, that, that they would know that. The next time he used it most often was in the book of Exodus that Pharaoh might know I am the Lord. So he did all those miraculous things that Pharaoh might know I'm the Lord. He did all those miraculous things for Israel that they might know I am the Lord. You get in the picture that he wants to be known? Yes, he wants to be known. Why? Because he's not known. There are a lot of people who say things about God that are really not true about him. He wants to be known for who he is. So today we're going to look at some of the things he said. One of the things he said that you may know that I'm the Lord is his regathering of Israel, his bringing Israel back together again as a nation. What I tried to share with you last week, there's a reason why. Because of their disobedience, Israel has been scattered throughout the world. Now, I'm, I'm gonna, even as I'm saying this, I want you to now live with me in World War II. We're back at World War II, all right? There is no Israel in World War II. There is no Israel after World War II. Not until 1948 is there a place called Israel anymore. You follow where I'm at? So, you're going to have to go back there and live back there just for a minute and quit thinking about the, the national entity known as Israel today. They have been scattered until 1948. Everybody with me? Scattered all over the place. 
And he said that they were scattered that they may know I am the Lord. I did what I told you I would do. And in his quietness, he has not spoken to them, not given them any revelation. And they've been continuing to try to live some sort of Judaism faith. And every place they have been, they have been finally hated. You say, well, not in America. Yes, even in America. They have, there are plenty of groups that hate them to this day and don't even know why they hate them to this day. So that's what I tried to share with you last week, that they've been scattered out. But God was making a promise to bring them back to that place again. And kids, I'll tell you how important that is. That's the key to prophetic understanding. The prophetic clock is in operation fully when Israel returns to the land. When Israel gets back to the land, all the rest of the things that God said are going to take place start taking place. They are tick, 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 tick. Ticked off right away, just bam, 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 bam. Everybody see where I'm at? So their being gathered back together is an extremely important event. It doesn't matter whether you like everybody that's in it. It doesn't matter whether you like their politics or you don't like their politics. Their being back together is a key prophetic event. All right. So let's take a look at Ezekiel 36 here just for a moment. And let's look at verse 22. Ezekiel 36, 22. As we said, verse uh, 1 to 21 is all about his uh, love for the land. God has deep appreciation for the land. I think that's something we ought to be uh, a little more cognizant of. God has designated that land for Israel. It is his love for that land, not just, well, this would be a nice place. Why don't we choose it? That's the one he's chosen for them overall. He's chosen a lands for all the others and said, that's your land. You stay in it. Take care of that land. Israel's going to have this one. I'm making my covenant with the, the group that I love, and it's Israel. And he's wanting Israel to know, it's not, uh, I don't love you because you're a really great people. You're not. I don't love you because you're the greatest number of people. You're not. I don't love you because you're really sweet and swell. I, you're not. And I don't love you for it. I love you because I want to love you. I have placed my love on you, and I am going to work a thing in you. For what reason? That you will know that I am the Lord. Why is he doing it in the presence of all those nations? That they may know that I am the Lord. Does that make sense to you? That's why he's repeating this over and over again. I love the book of Ezekiel. This is, this is a fantastic book. It's just a book you need to get in and swim around in for a while, you know. Wipe it on your skin. Just, just enjoy it. It's a beautiful thing. Ezekiel 36, 22. He said this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Look, he says, I'm bringing you back, and I'm putting you back in this land again, not because you said, wow, please take us back. We really want to be back. We're repenting. We're nasty. We've been bad. Please bring us back to this land. They never said that. They did want a national entity. They did want to get away from the persecution they found in every nation they went in. A persecution, by the way, which God promised them. That, that wasn't just because the nations were being ugly. He promised his people, because you have loved somebody else, I'm going to have your lover not love you. All right. 
So he said, I'm doing this not for your sake because you've been so great. I'm doing this for my own name's sake because every place you have gone, you have profaned my name. All right. Let's take a look again at how he says it. But for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations, wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations will do what? Know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Now stop. I want to hold it right there just for a moment. The honor of God and what it, what it what means to profane him. Um, we use a lot of words, uh, uh, profanity, we say that's profanity, that's, uh, and then we use the words cuss, and a variety of words like that. I think we do so sometimes without even knowing what we're saying. A profane person is the one that doesn't know the right from the wrong. A profane doesn't understand the difference between the holy and the common. This word actually means to stand in the threshold. You can't decide whether you're going in or you're going out. You ever, when you were a kid, um, stand there and look at outside for a little while and hear your mom or dad yell, close the door, close the door. Why? Because you didn't seem to understand that the cold air that's outside is now making its way inside and the warm air doesn't feel nearly as warm as it did. Or you're letting the hot air in and the cold air is not appreciating it. Close the door. A profane person stands in the doorway. He can't decide what's holy or unholy. He really kind of likes the unholy sometimes, but, but the holy makes him feel so much better. That's profanity. So when you're saying something that's inappropriate for the occasion, that's profanity. If you're saying something that's vulgar, and vulgar simply means that which is common, in other words, if you're talking about activities in the bathroom at dinner time, that's profanity. You follow me? It's ugly, folks. That's what Israel was doing when they were in those lands. When Israel is in there saying, we're the Lord's people. Yeah? So why aren't you in your land? See, listen, it's not because you were naughty, was it? You got kicked out of there. Who are you kidding? God didn't want you. We don't either. That's how they're getting profaned. What was it, that God couldn't take care of you? Uh-oh, now that's a little bit different. Are you saying that God couldn't take care of them? You see, that's profaning his name. You're not realizing how holy God is. We're not realizing how holy that people is that he called to himself. That's his wife. When you speak poorly of his wife, he's not happy about that. You follow where I'm at? He can say what he wants to about his wife, but he loves her dearly. When you start talking about his wife, ugly things, he now takes it on you. Look, he's done that same thing with nations all over the place. Listen, he gave Babylon, matter of fact, he called Babylon his servant. I'm going to have Babylon, my servant, come and take you people out of this land because you've done it so badly. You have not handled this land the way I told you to. You have not kept my covenant. I'm taking you out of the land, and Babylon's going to do it. That was the permission Babylon had. 
When they got there, the people resisted that. Even though Jeremiah said, this is dumb. Don't resist these people. Here's what God's saying. He's only going to take you away for 70 years. Just surrender. Go away and let, go live in Babylon for a while. He's taking you out of here so we can get the land to rest. Just surrender. They said, we're not surrendering. That's not patriotic talk. That's not national talk. We're national. We're exceptional. We'll win. Well, they didn't. Matter of fact, they wound up, if you read Lamentations, they wound up eating each other because the siege was so long, so brutal. Cut off all the food for them. Cut off everything they could from them. And the people now were starving in there. But when they got in, Nebuchadnezzar didn't just take the people captive. On three different occasions as he went in, he destroyed people. Severing their heads, he brutalized them. He dashed their babies against the rocks. He killed all kinds of people, and God didn't give him permission to do that. So the judgment came from Jeremiah, out of Jeremiah's words. The Lord says, I did not give you permission to do that. I gave you permission to take them, but I did not give you permission to abuse them, to slaughter them, to murder them like you did. Therefore, I will judge you. You follow who we're at? I will judge you. And they were judged harshly. They lost their king to the Medes and Persians. Every nation has a responsibility for the way in which you do what God's giving you permission to do. Everybody see that? This is critical to understand because it's the, it's the way you understand the ways of the Lord. So Israel was given, or I'm sorry, nations were given permission to take Israel in. They were not given permission to abuse them. Therefore, the nations will come under judgment. You follow that? The nations will come under judgment because they profaned the name of the Lord. They couldn't figure out God's holy and the children of Israel holy. And because of that, (coughs) he's going to bring judgment on them that's going to be brutal. That's the tribulation. That's what it's all about, kids. Letter I in your outline. Little little I, metallic I. The honor of God and what it means to profane him, meaning of profanity, we take care of that. The quietness of God. When God seems not to care what happens, silent does not mean passive or absent. So when God moves somebody out, or may I say this, even in your own life, when it seems like, (coughs) excuse me, When it seems like God is quiet and he's not speaking about anything, that is the active work of God to get your attention. Sometimes the most effective thing you can do in the middle of, uh, I'll I'll use school kids, getting too noisy is to simply stand up and be quiet. I I know in uh, Trail Life, I think Awana, I think in some of the other, you'll just see a leader do this. Not say a word, just raise a hand. And pretty soon you look around the room and everybody in the room is raising their hand. What does it mean? Let's get your attention. You're at chaos right now. You're at disorder right now. And I need to have your attention. And sometimes the quietness of God is the way he gets your attention. That's the way he's getting Israel's attention. They were in captivity for how many years, kids, till 1948? (coughs) That's from 136 A.D., 
1948, they were all dispersed around the world. <coughs> what do I got? Let me see. Yeah, yeah. They were dispersed all around the world. And even if they cried out to God, nothing was happening. He's quiet. What's the matter with God? Why doesn't he speak? What's the matter with you, Lord? To get your attention. (coughs) If you remember at the end of Deuteronomy 28, he said, if my people, when you get into that place, will simply turn to me and say, we were wrong, I will bring you back. He listened in quietness for 2,000, well, 1,900 years, listening in quiet. Are you ready to cry out? Not to come home, not to repent, not to believe in his Messiah. Nope. So having them in that land for so long, in his love for his own person, because his name was being profaned, Now, he said, I'm going to rise and do something that everybody will know that I am the Lord. That's the quietness of God, all right? The discipline of God is stepping back and letting one do what he wants, allowing the consequences to come without his intervention. That's from Romans chapter 1, where God, when he's wanting to get a society's attention, when people are bucking against what he said don't do, and they keep trying to do it, he stops. And he steps back. When he steps back, he lets people do what they want to do. Why? Hopefully, the consequences you go through will be enough to convince you, stop that. You're killing yourself. You're hurting yourself. Look what you're doing to your kids. Stop that. When that does not happen, he takes a step back. Now the resistance of God is weakened greatly because he's not trying to stop you from doing wicked, and he's allowing you to do what, he wants you, what you want to do. That's the discipline of God. When that doesn't work, he steps back. And at that point, you're now getting a really risky thing going for yourself because if you don't change at that point, when he takes that fourth step back, you're in a depraved mind. Friend, he will not give you repentance. At that point, that nation is gone. You have signed your own destruction. And all you have to do is look at Romans chapter 1 to figure out what that destruction was. You forgot God. You didn't acknowledge who he was. So he stepped back. And you wound up now uh, being immoral with one another. When that, he stepped back again. When that didn't change, they went to homosexuality. When that didn't change, he said, I'm giving you up to depravity. You're done. And that's the end of a nation. That's the end of a society. When that nation agrees and holds and approves to homosexuality, that's the end of that society. Is that, is that clear enough, straight enough? I mean, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to be mean about anything, mean with any group of people. I'm just saying, this is where you're going, kids. This is, what it, this is the way it is. This is the discipline of God. If I think if you're wise at all, you can see we are on the border of the very last days of this country because we can't... Let me say it another way. If you won't govern yourself, God will give you a government that's hard. Proverbs says it this way. For the transgression of a people, many are its princes. If you won't govern yourself, you're just going to get more princes. 
Have you ever seen so much bureaucracy, so much government over people? Kids, there are thousands of laws written. I'll guarantee you right now today, some of you in here are lawbreakers and you didn't even know it. That's because of a transgression of a people. Everybody with me on this? You won't govern yourself, God will give you a government. That's what he's going to do with with this. So that's what he did with Israel. Israel would not govern themselves. They would not do what God said to do. He spread them out and said, now you'll live with the people that you think are your lovers. And you're not going to like it. Your lovers are going to hate you. And so they have for 1,900 years. But in 1948, a wonderful thing took place. We'll be back in just a minute. The nations as they had been dispersed were the realm of rebellious principalities who hated them. These lands are not the place of their blessing. Let me see if I can clarify that just a little bit. The Mosaic Covenant, that which is called a Palestinian covenant, it's got a lot of names for it, the Old Testament. That covenant is a land covenant. It's a land covenant. It's about Israel living in a particular land, not about Israel living any place. It's about that particular land. It's obedience to that gives them blessings in that particular land. Everybody with me? Now, the Abrahamic covenant covers something much larger. If somebody blesses you, I'll bless them. If somebody curses you, I'll curse them. That's, that's true. But the covenant, that which we call Torah, that which we call the law, that's a land covenant about a people living on a land. It's not for righteousness. It's not for uh, justification before God. The only thing that law could do is tell you how to live in that land and receive God's blessing for it. Everybody with me? It was never given in order that you would be saved by the law. We have always been saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves is the gift of God. That's back with Adam. That's all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation. That's the only way you can be saved. By grace through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God. Israel had a covenant with God in that land. And it has to be in that land. They have to come back to that land to receive the blessings of God. So they were living in nations where they were under some other, uh, I'll just say other gods, other government forms. So they were living under those forms right there and hated for it because that's not their land. They're not going to be blessed there because it's not their land. doesn't mean they can't make a fortune there or do something like that. Sure, they can. Individuals can. All right. Let me go to letter V. Israel, in the dispersion, was getting what she had asked for. Let me get what she had wanted from her other lovers, her lovers rejecting her. They were only using her in the first place. Listen, when Israel was in love with Baal, when Israel was in love with Ashtoreth, when Israel was in love with Marduk, when Israel was in love with all the other gods of the other nations and laid down for them and paid them to take her, God hated it. But her lovers didn't love her anyway. They were only using her as if she was some kind of prostitute. Only this is the worst kind of prostitute because she's paying them to do it. That's what the dispersion has meant. That's what made 1948 so big a deal. In 1948, 
it was determined that this, this group of people, ancient group of people, this was not given to the Hittites. The Hittites came and went. It was not given to the Babylonians. The Babylonians came and went. It was not given to the Persians. The Persians came and went. This land was to Israel, an ancient people. And they had their land back. So, prophetic teachers, uh, uh, some of you will remember this back in the 70s. We understood, oh my goodness, look, 1948, and, and Jesus said that that generation won't die off until they see these signs take place. 1948, a generation's 40 years, 48 and 40, 88. Jesus is coming back in 88. Remember, anybody remember that? Ah. Jesus didn't come back in 88. The next year, the guy that wrote that wrote a book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 89. <laughs> he didn't come in 89 either, okay? What am I saying? Simply this. 1948 is an important time for the start of bringing the nations, or having the nations let Israel go a start. That's not where you start dating to know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know how long it's going to take to gather them in, but this much I can tell you. When they are gathered from all nations, it's a process, not a singular event. Letter number four in your outline. This is a process, not a singular event. It will take time, and it is done in stages. What is time to the eternal God? Setting dates. That's the danger of setting dates. One day, Tommy Ice and I were over in the, the um, uh, glory room. We were looking over the mural, and we had written there that in, in uh, uh, Ezekiel 36 about the return of Israel to the land. You know, we're refer referring it to 1948. And Tommy said, I don't think I would have put that reference there. I wouldn't have put that. And I said, why is that? And he said, this is Ezekiel 26, not 36. What, what are you saying? And where we had made our mistake is this. In Ezekiel 26, Israel's coming back, all right, but they're coming back under the rod, under the bar. That's the way you count sheep. You, you say, hold, stop, stop. Nope, that one's not mine. That one goes over there. That's mine, mine. No, up. Nope, over here. You follow where I'm at? It's the way you pick out who the believers are. It's the way you pick out the sheep from the other, the wrong sheep. So they were moving over here. So what God has been doing since 1948 is holding the rod, holding the bar. Which of these are my sheep, which are not my sheep? Which are my sheep, which are not my sheep? What's he going to do with those who are his sheep? He has promised them he's going to bring them Messiah again. That's the people who in Israel are going to receive the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, after the church is gone. You follow where I'm at? So that's what he's doing. So it would be in, inappropriate to start numbering from 1948 the 40 generations or even 70 generations. That's not appropriate. 70 as a generation. No, the appropriate time is when he's through gathering his remnant in. And I don't know when that is. We don't know when that is, but we can know this. He's gathering Israel together. Does that tell you anything? Yes, get all excited. Look up. Your redemption's drawing nigh. What time is it going to come? Don't know. Could be any time. 
Let me go further with you. All right. Notice what he says with them about them in verse 25 and following. He says, after he's gathered them from the nations, he said in verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your midst, um, <laughs> two pages, all your filthiness from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my judgments and you will keep my judgments and do them. What God had asked them to do is follow that covenant. Follow that old Torah. Follow that one. They didn't keep that one. In order to have a people that he can do the blessing he wants to do for, are you getting this? He wants to bless them more than they want to be blessed. And may I say, you can be a Gentile and be in the same place. <laughs> he wants to bless you, Gentile Christian, and, and more than you want to be blessed. He wants to bless them. But there are people like us who won't be obedient. How can he help them become obedient? First of all, got to get rid of the problem. So cleanse you with new water. Sprinkle you. Got to get a justification going there. I got to take care of the old sin problem. I got to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. I got you washed now. But then I'm going to have to make a new person out of you. I'm going to have to take the heart that was in you, take that heart out, and give you a new heart. But even beyond that, I'm going to have to give you a new spirit. So I'm going to take your spirit, and I'm going to put my spirit in you. You follow that? You know what, that, what we call that in, uh, in New Testament terms? Being born again. And unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You follow that? This is how he's going to make a people that can be obedient to him, that will be obedient to him. They have to be a changed people. That's what he's going to do. And that's why he made a new covenant. So parts of that new covenant are cleansed from all uncleanness, new heart, new spirit, and fresh zeal for the law of God, really living in the land with great productivity and rebuilt greatness. There's a new humility, a new knowledge of the Lord. Look as, let's, let's, let's look as we go down this, all right? So let's pick up with uh, verse 28. And uh, it's a lot of reading, so just hang with me. Then you shall dwell in the land. Once he's got this cleansing thing, once he's got this uh, taking away their sin and all that sort of thing, they're going to live in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I'll be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it. Are you seeing the relationship he's talking here between sin and who the persons are and then the grain and all that? Listen, they're related. Why? Because it's a land covenant. He loves that land. People need land to live on. People need food from that land to live on. So what's he going to do? Give them abundance of food. Let's go on further. Oh, my goodness. Don't you love this? Well, I do. I'm having a good time. Well, anyway, I'll call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and abominations. 
Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed, confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. God's plan was when you're living out here in the diaspora, when you're living out here in all these nations, because of the way you're treated, what you'll do then is be upset with what you've done. Be upset with why it's got you there. You'll loathe yourselves. You'll confess your sin. And when you confess your sin, I'll come get you and bring you back home. 1,900 years, it didn't work. So what did he do? He said, all right, here's what I am going to do. I'm going to go to all these nations all around here, and I'm gathering you out. I'm going to make those nations hate you to the point they say, get out of here. Go away. Go live in your own country. And they do. He said, I'm going to gather you from the north, from the west, from the east, from the south. I'm going to gather you, and I'm going to bring you back as a remnant in my people. I'm going to put you under judgment, and I'm going to start weeding out those who are not believers. And then those of you who are believers, the day is going to come when I'm going to cleanse you fully and completely. And I'm going to take this land that you're living on, and I'm going to make this thing flower and be abundant. Why? Because it's the land I chose for you, my chosen people. You say, well, that's good for them, but what, what about us? Because of the Abrahamic covenant that makes these people who they are, all the nations who see that will be blessed. That's where you are. The blessing he's given to them, he's going to give to all the nations around them. Next week, I know I'll have to take up Jeremiah, the 3131, the new covenant. What are the promises? All these promises, kids, that this new covenant promises, that's all happening in the millennium. It will not happen now. It can't happen now. Too many enemies, too many things going wrong. The, the, the land's not been cleansed. It can't happen now. But it will happen in the millennium. That's when that new covenant's going to find its full fulfillment. All right? Got some good things to tell you about that. But here's the deal I want, to, I want you to know about. You, you may not think anything about Israel. You may not like any, any of the politics, anything that's going on. That really is inconsequential. That really doesn't matter a whole lot. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the day's going to come. There won't be a Democrat. The day will come. There won't be a Republican. They'll change their names. They'll change their look. They'll change the things they do just like we always do. Don't sweat the small stuff. There will always be children of God. There will always be King Jesus. Stick with what you know is eternal. Don't sweat the small stuff. These guys come and go. Now, you may die a martyr's death as they come and go, but they still come and go. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that, that's the way it goes, guys. That's the way it's been for centuries. But there is one that will come and never go. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling you what he's going to do to his chosen people. He's telling you what he's going to do to all those people around. Here's the deal. Today will be a great day for you to get on the right team. You've been fooling around this thing for so long, acting like you're some kind of intellectual or some kind of something or other. Forget it. Today, friend, let me just say this. You're a sinner standing before Almighty God. You've sinned against him. You're guilty of lying. You're guilty of theft. You're guilty of adultery. You're guilty. It's all over you. And Jesus is coming again. 
And when he comes again, it will all be squared away. His judgment's going to cover the whole thing. Today would be a great day to get alone with Almighty God and say, you, are, you must be the creator. You must be the one that knit me. You must be the one that's holding all things responsible. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Quit fooling with this. Quit acting like you've got some, some other choices. You don't. You're not the free spirit you believe you are, friend. He's put you in a corner. Can I say this? You are not here by accident today. You are here by the appointment of God who is speaking to you and probably has been for weeks, whether it's here or someplace else. And you know it's D-Day. It's time to make a decision. Get down to this thing. You follow me? Stop messing around. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and so you'll be saved. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the truth in the Word of God. We ask for the sake of Christ, you'll open hearts, open people, give us understanding. Grant, Father, that we might have that great love for you and your spirit, for the things that you're doing. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.